If you were here last week, I taught from a particular passage in the book of James. And the passage that I dealt with was from James chapter 4, and I was teaching from verse 13 and 14. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. And I talked through that text. And the next verse is sort of the launching point for what I'm going to talk about today. It says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And as I indicated last week, I've, I've had a thought rumbling around in my mind for a long time that I wanted to share a little bit more about the, the trials and, and challenges that Debbie and I have gone through, but I've been hesitant to do it because I could see a couple of things coming out of it that wouldn't be positive. Um, one, somebody might um, hear what I was saying and feel sorry for us or think that I'm trying to get sympathy for us, and that's not it at all. I can say without hesitation, I wouldn't trade our life for anyone else. I am very thankful for the life that we have, for what has transpired, and it's never occurred to me that I would want it any other way. Now, at individual moments in time, it has occurred to me strongly that I wish it was a different way, but in the big picture, the point is not that I'm dissatisfied with life. I'm very thankful for our life. The other thing that could come out of it is somebody could think I'm, I'm trying to be the hero of my own stories. One of the things I learned early on in seminary and in interacting with Rick Holland, who was a faithful man, he was a wonderful pastor, he was a person who probably had a bigger impact on how I preach stylistically than anybody else that I know. And, and what happened was I loved listening to him, so I wanted to be like him. Um, so I tried to do some things similar in terms of how he organizes material and all those kind of things. And he used to always caution us, look, when you use illustrations, don't be the hero of your own story. Nobody wants a superhero pastor that always comes out on top, that always shared the gospel, that always did the right thing. And so I wouldn't want anybody to think that at all, because... As we have gone through things, there have been times when I would be very, in hindsight, I would say, boy, respond just like I did. And there have been times where I'd say, don't do what I did. And I won't get into all of those ins and outs, but I wanted to, ex to share these things for a couple of reasons. The positives that I thought would come out of it is this. I exhort you, when I'm teaching scriptures, to do certain things. And I want you to understand, some of you do, some of you will, some of you may not, that what I'm saying is not in a vacuum. The things that we have faced impact what I exhort you to do. They impact when I'm reading scripture, what I want to communicate to you. They impact when I read the word of God, what I knew I cling to in those moments. And I want you to be able to do the same thing. I realize some of you have been through a lot worse trials than Debbie and I have been. So I don't, for a second, say any of this to say, look how, how hard things are for us, because I don't think that. I don't think that way. I don't consciously wake up thinking, boy, our life is hard. And I'm mindful that many of you are far, are much farther down the road of understanding how to respond to trials than we are. 
But I want to be able to share these things, so number one, so you know me better, so you can listen to the things I exhort you with, and you'll understand more of where they come from. But I also want you to know that it is possible to survive trials. One of the things that has been exasperating to me when I counsel people at times is when people have a mindset that says, it can't be done, I can't do it. Because there's a sense in which that's absolutely true, and there's a sense in which it's a, a damning lie that will condemn you to be able to, to be stuck in your circumstances. There's the sense in which you can't do it. But the God who has sent his spirit to indwell you can get through those traps. He can get you through them. And so I hope that it might be an encouragement if you faced any of the trials or any type of trial like we have to know the faithfulness of God. You, you know it intellectually. Some of you have felt it. And so the things that I will share are just a testimony to what God's done. They don't really say that much about Debbie and I. They tell you about the God who empowers us. They tell you about our Savior. But when it comes down to who we are apart from Christ, we're nothing exceptional. We're not any more capable of dealing with life than you are. So, with that as sort of a backdrop, I am going to just talk a little bit in a narrative way about our life. I will try not to get emotional. Last week I got emotional when I wasn't expecting to get emotional, and I, I can't stand that. That's one of the things I, I wish I had ice water in my veins and I could just press through and never show my emotions. But I can't do that. So I'll try not to be too distracting to that. Please overlook those things if, if they're disruptive. But I'm going to try and follow sort of a chronological outline. And I can't go back to my birth. I don't want to. I want to talk to you about the trials that have occurred since we committed our lives to go into full-time ministry. Some of you have heard this. I've shared it in different ways. I've never been a pastor anywhere. Let's I'm 46 years old. I came to Lakeside and started work on July 1, 2007. Prior to that, I'd never been a pastor. I was very upfront with the elders about that, mind the way. I didn't pad my resume. I, I was very clear to them that I had never been a pastor. My life was something else. I was an attorney. And the whole reason I started out to be an attorney was to get rich. I wasn't a believer. I would have called myself a believer. I wasn't. But after... I was saved, it never occurred to me immediately that I would ever be standing here in ministry. I was in a position where I could make money. And so I assumed two things. Number one, I, I really believe one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of giving. And I was able to do a lot with the money that we were making. And Debbie and I were able to give to a lot of things that was very helpful. And so I assumed God was going to keep me doing that and I would be used by God to help finance ministries and help support ministries. I thought perhaps maybe one day I would go into a type of law, kind of the ACLJ, the American Center for Law and Justice, or whatever the name is, of you know legal work on behalf of Christ. But 
But I, even when I became a strong believer, even when I started reading the Word of God, Debbie and I were growing exponentially. I mean, our life went just spiritually. It never occurred to me that I'd be doing this. I just always assumed I was going to be a lawyer. And over a period of time, the desire of my heart was more and more, people need to hear what's in the Bible. I can't believe I was in church my whole life and didn't know what was in it. People need to hear this. And over time, and it was several years, it became clear that I thought the Lord was calling me to ministry. Debbie was convinced of it before. And so, in the meantime, I had gone to work for one of our clients. I worked for a law firm in San Diego. I got a job for a large community college district up in the Fresno area. And it was a very comfortable life. From a financial standpoint, it, it was never better. Sometimes we tell our kids, your mom and dad used to have money. <laughs> they, they are uh, not the recipients of it. They long for wondering what that must have been like. But, um, but life was, in many respects, good. We had had Rachel and Heather. They were born in Fresno. And Rachel in May 17th, 1997. Heather, February 12th of 1999. And we committed we're going to go to seminary. Debbie knew it, I knew it, and we just were structuring our lives to work that way. I was able to pay off all my law school loans three years early. We just we had already paid off all the other loans, so we were in a position to go to seminary. And right before we were officially leaving for seminary, we had we found out that fall we were we were pregnant a third time. So Rachel and Heather and we would have had a third child that would have born been born about the same thing, just a little bit less than two years apart. And so, life, this is not even point to be emotional yet. I'm going to kill my wife with this. Um, there, there was a sense when, in which it would be hard to picture life being that much better. We it's going to take three weeks just to speak so. <laughs> We knew the blessings of the Lord. He had enabled us to buy a home in Fresno from another dear couple in our church. We had wonderful friends. We were encouraged. We were supported. And we were getting ready to relocate to the L.A. area for seminary. And I put in my notice at work. I was leaving that career, I was going to go back and work part-time for the law firm I used to work for in San Diego. I could work from the L.A. area and do the work. And so we were in a good position. And then right before we were getting ready to leave, at the beginning of the second trimester with the pregnancy, Debbie had a miscarriage. And it was shocking for a lot of reasons. I mean, we've taken Rachel with us and Heather, but Heather was a baby. We've taken Rachel with us. We're going to listen to heartbeat. It just, at the time, it wasn't anything we contemplated. I have a sister who had had a miscarriage. Debbie had sisters who had had miscarriages. But since our first two children had been born and everything had gone okay, it, it kind of caught us off guard. But God was faithful, and we got through it. Um, I really thought that God was going to bless us with a lot of kids because it seemed like things were working. Because 
we had three years with no pregnancies, but then Rachel, and then Heather, and then this third child. And the Lord sovereignly knew that wasn't the best thing for us. But we managed to go through seminary, and there were other trials. But we got through it. It was four difficult years at times. My work schedule and my seminary schedule caused me at times to sinfully neglect my family. The Lord convicted me of sin. My wife was very gracious. And we got through seminary. And I graduated in May of 2004. And I was excited. We were looking forward to going into ministry. And yet the Lord didn't open a door for ministry. I candidated immediately that fall at a church in Kansas. Was told that absolutely it was a done deal. You know, we're going to have a meeting on this day and we'll finalize everything. And I never got a call from the pastor. I didn't understand it. And it didn't, didn't happen. And then had an opportunity to visit a church in Northern California. Almost a year I was interacting with them. Debbie and I went there, had a wonderful visit. And after spending a year looking at, into them and them looking into me, I had to withdraw my name. Something wasn't right. God was gracious in that because the month after I had withdrawn, the pastor who I was going to work for was fired without warning. And so I, the Lord spared us. But by this time, it's getting a little odd because I was still practicing law. But I thought, Lord, what, you know, we transformed our lives, and yet I feel like we're just sitting here. Then I candidated at a church in Virginia, and then that didn't happen. And then I candidated at another church in Virginia, and that didn't work out. And it was beginning to get to the point, I remember having an unbelieving friend, he was like, at what point do you pull the plug on this and just go back to life? Because we were on hold. I never went back working full time, which would have helped us financially, but I knew the nature of the law. If I went back to work full time, it kind of sucks you in and it's hard to disentangle yourself. So we weren't, we weren't hurting financially, but we weren't awash with money. But I knew the Lord would call me to do this. And the unbelieving friend asked me that and I said, you know, I'm doing this because I think God called me to do it. And everywhere I have gone, people have affirmed that they thought I was gifted for this and that I was teaching for this. And so I don't have any choice. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to keep waiting. In the midst of that, and during that time, we had not been able to get pregnant again. And it was every month I was hoping we would be pregnant, and every month we weren't pregnant. And that occurred for probably five plus years. So we'd had those three pregnancies right in a row, Rachel, Heather, and then our, our baby who died. And then the Lord closed Debbie's womb. And it was, it was discouraging. But when I finally come to the point of just saying, you know what, Lord, you knew that we couldn't handle more than two kids. God was gracious and Debbie got pregnant with Christine. So it wasn't quite Abraham and Sarah, but we were a lot older and we were very thankful. And then I got a call about a church in Clearwater. And Debbie and I, we didn't even want to tell anybody because it was going to hurt too much when this church said no. We didn't know anything about Lakeside. We just knew Florida. This is where our family was. This is our home. To be able to come back to Florida and minister was just too good to be true. And then the Lord opened up all the doors. 
the elders. I can still remember uh, talking and emailing with Jim Jensen. The elders were responsive. The, the conversations were good. And Lakeside moved very fast. Other churches were snails. Lakeside was a Ferrari. Boom! You know, can you fly out? And, and, and we had to rearrange it because Debbie was far along in the pregnancy. And the first weekend they proposed, the doctor said, I don't want her flying then. But Lakeside was so accommodating. And then to get this job here, it was unbelievable. I, I was overwhelmed. Debbie and I were overwhelmed. And it felt like we were coming out of a, a tunnel, so to speak. This period of limbo where we were sort of just sitting and wondering and sitting and wondering. And there were many times we wondered, should we move? Should we do something? And, and we couldn't come up with any legitimate thing other than do but to wait for the Lord. And finally the Lord was moving. And so we were excited. And Christine was born on April 6 of 2007. And the elders, I can remember them asking me, would I be able to work and live off of the salary they, they could offer? They knew I had been an attorney. And one of the things I was able to tell them was, you know what? Finances should not be a problem. Because we won't have any debt when we get there. And at the time, our house in California had over $200,000 of equity in it. So it's like, this is going to be the Lord's blessing. Whatever the elders can provide is not going to be a problem financially. Never even thought of financial problems. So as we were making the transition, and we moved here in June of 2007, once again we were at a point where it was like, the Lord has just been so gracious. He's given us a baby in our old age. We have... The opportunity to go to Florida, this is incredible. And it, I'm not second-guessing that. It was incredible. It was a blessing. But what I didn't realize until after we had moved here was that the housing market in the world had turned in the spring of 2007, and we didn't know it. And our realtor in California called one day, and he said, by the way, I just got word from all of our mortgage brokers, nobody's writing any mortgages now. They're done. The pipeline just dried up in California overnight. And if you didn't already have an application, then there'd be no more approved. Our house in California would have cost a ton of money for someone, which means they had to have a loan, but it was just a starter home. It was a home built in 1971 or 73, 1,400 square feet. This wasn't the type of home that wealthy people went to. It was just a regular home that a middle-class family would have to purchase. And the real estate market ended overnight. So we had the situation where we had moved here, and now we've got this house in California, and we were in a mess and in a bind. And there were many people here, probably some of you, that prayed diligently for the house to sell. But it didn't sell. And we exhausted every source of finances, money, anything we had to not go under. And then we finally found some renters that could rent the house. We would still lose money every month, but it was at the point where, you know, the blood would not be gushing, it would only be trickling out. And we were in a little bit of a, a dilemma of what to do because we were stuck. There was nothing I could humanly do to make the house saleable. And yet we were the names on the mortgage. 
And so it was our responsibility. During this time, Debbie was blessed. We were blessed with a fifth pregnancy. And we thought, wow, this is going to be incredible. Christine's going to have a little playmate. And now we're really old, but God is really blessing us, and this is going to be incredible. But we knew there were financial hurdles. And about this time, our renters stopped paying rent. In California, to get somebody out of your house, it's a legal process. You've got to go to court. You've got to do a lot of things. You don't just say, would you please move out? Well, we didn't have any money to go get a lawyer. And even though I was a lawyer, if anything, that made me realize we really have a buying now. Because we have people in our house that we can't get out. They've stopped paying. And we don't know which way to turn. Now, in this mix of things that was going on, we probably entered in, are into 2008 or 2009 now. Our oldest daughter, Rachel, started wanting to stay home from school a lot. Our kids came here, and one of the blessings of Lakeside is our girls could go to Lakeside. And at first, there, there was a part of me that was just wondering, okay, is she just wanting, is there something going on at school? Is, she, is there kids that she doesn't like? What, why, why is this going on? And so she missed a lot of the end of her school year. In the midst of that, I had to go to California on a business trip. I was able to do something for a, a church I used to go to. And so I knew I was leaving Debbie for a little bit. And it was, um, just didn't think much of it. A lot was going on in life. Rachel wasn't doing well. But we were going along, and I flew to California, and I did the training that I did for this church. And I remember going to the Burbank Airport. I was getting ready to come home. And Debbie called, and I could tell from her voice that she was upset. And while I'd been in California, again at the start of the second trimester, she had had another miscarriage. And she had to go to the doctor by herself, and she had to go through things by herself. And I can remember sitting at the airport, and it was a very lonely feeling. I felt horrible that I wasn't there for my wife. And what was going through my head was the song that we often sing that is a wonderful song, Blessed Be Your Name. And the part of the song, He Gives and Takes Away, He Gives and Takes Away, that I would choose to say, Lord, bless it. Be your name. And that was real. I felt the Lord's comfort. I called a friend of mine, or I texted a friend of mine, and he, that lived in California, he left work, managed to get down to the Burbank Airport and prayed with me. But the Lord was gracious. And I was able to get back to Debbie, and we were able to go through the DNC. I think that's the right word, isn't it? The, whatever the medical procedure is that 
is a difficult additional part of having a miscarriage. And I was thinking to myself that that was a low point. But God was so faithful that I thought, boy, he really wanted to humble me. And I felt humbled. And he really wanted me to only be able to trust in him. And I was only able to trust in him because financially things were getting worse. The joy of thinking we were going to have another child was now gone. But Debbie and I were doing well together because we had each other and we had the Lord. What I didn't realize was that the elevator had not bottomed out yet. And we tried to get Rachel to start back to school that fall. And she only went for about a week or two weeks. And she insisted she couldn't keep going. And as a parent, at that point, it's exasperating because the doctors couldn't diagnose anything. Debbie was taking her to doctors. They were giving her antibiotics. They gave her, what was it, Leviquin or some kind of powerful antibiotic that just her poor little body was clobbered by it. And yet she wasn't getting better. And by God's grace, and it was a blessing, and I don't even remember how it happened. Somebody, I don't know if it was a pediatrician, but we got put in touch with a rheumatologist. And it was a rheumatologist that Carla and Jim knew because of the, the trials that they've gone through with Andrea. And after months of not knowing what was going on, they finally figured out Rachel had arthritis. And we realize and we know people have much worse conditions of children. During this time, I remember hearing a prayer request and praying for a family whose child was dying of cancer and whose child did die. And so I realized what Rachel was going through could have been a lot worse from that perspective. But once the arthritis started kicking in, her arthritis is in her... I don't even know how to articulate it. they got fancy words for it, but it's in these joints on each hand and in her knees. And it was getting progressively more difficult for her to function. To the point where she was in such pain that she couldn't really walk. And probably some of you remember her. I still think of Rachel as a little kid, and she's going to be 16 this year, so I know she's not a little girl, but I still think of my little girl... And she was to the point where she was in such pain she couldn't step upstairs, she couldn't walk. She had a she had a cane that she used because she didn't have any balance. And again, I am thankful that the trials that the Lord brought to her have not been more severe. But it was If you've ever watched your child suffer, and I know many of you have, and my heart goes out to you, it is a helpless, helpless feeling. Because you want to say that everything will be okay and that you'll be fine, and yet you have no power to deal with that. And the doctor was very clear to us. He said, this arthritis could go away tomorrow, but it could last the rest of her life, and we have no way of telling what's the case. And so they started her on medicine that wasn't helping. 
she was in more and more pain. And we were trusting God. God had blessed us with Rachel. We were thankful that he was allowing her at an early age to have to learn to trust in God. But I can, I can remember a day in Jim's former office. He used to be on one side of the school building. Now he's on the other side. And I knew Jim understood far in a far greater way than I did what it is to watch a child suffer. But I can remember sitting there, and I don't know that he would re recall specifics of the day, but I remember sitting there and just letting him know that it had become painfully clear Rachel just was not getting better. And it wasn't changing. And yet, I knew the Lord loved my daughter. I knew the Lord loved Debbie and me. And he loved our other children. And we didn't have any choice but to trust God. There wasn't a plan B. Now, by God's grace, eventually, after a year of suffering and after a year of trying medicine, Actually, the suffering was more than a year. They started giving her medicine to alleviate the symptoms, not to cure the arthritis. And for a year, progressively higher doses of a particular medicine, methotrexate, was not helping Rachel. It was making her feel progressively worse. But our daughter was going through a hard time. Yeah. Eventually, they found a medicine called Enbrel. You see the television commercials for it. Phil Mickelson, the golfer, is always promoting it. And by God's grace, that gave Rachel some relief. And she got to the point where she could walk without severe pain, and she could go upstairs. And she didn't have to take the motorized cart to get from the bottom floor to the top floor. She still got arthritis, and she still has to deal with the effects. But I thought that's about as low as I could get. Because watching your child suffer and you can't do anything about it is probably the most helpless I've ever felt. Now, I was a lawyer for a little over 14 years. I worked for a law firm. The nature of being a lawyer and working for a law firm is that you're dealing with people at moments of weakness when they're hurt and they're angry and other things. Around this time, I got a phone call from my former boss, who I had worked for years before, when he told me that one of our former clients had sued us, and had sued me. And in one sense, I had a clear conscience, because I knew I had not done anything wrong. I knew I had, in my heart, I had done all that I could do. This was just a part of life. And for various reasons, I can't talk about the particulars of it, the nature of things. And the, thankfully, the law firm defended me as they were required to do, and it didn't cost us money. But if you've ever been 
pursued like that, it's hard to read accusations against you. It's hard to read through and see your integrity accused. And I thought, Lord, how proud must I be that you're still humbling me? What is going on? Now, during this time, God was gracious because I was still working here. Obviously, on all of the major significant things, I was seeking out the counsel of the elders. Debbie and I were blessed. We were able, by God's grace, to live out our faith. But we were beginning, we weren't doubting. We were wondering, when will this ever stop? At least it occurred to me. And then I was reminded of what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was praying, Lord, remove this thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times, and the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. And I knew those words were for me. And they were for my wife. God's grace was sufficient. He had given us great things. He had taken away many things. But by this point I realized all the intellect I had wasn't helping. All of the abilities that God had given me to think and plan and do were insufficient for the challenges that I was facing. And so I didn't have any choice but to try and live out what is true. That God's strength is shown when we are weak. God eventually, though, started acting in some other areas. The house in California eventually we were able to do a short sale. I worked as hard as I could to be a person of integrity. I was not willing to walk away and do things that were happening all around our society because it was more important to me to maintain my testimony and to honor the Lord than it was to deal with the financial circumstances. I had more than one unbeliever say, you realize you could get out of this. I was a lawyer. I knew some things to do, and I wasn't willing to play by society's rules. But God was gracious. Eventually, a buyer came along. Our house had dropped in value about 60% from the time when I said I would come to Lakeside and when it finally sold. And then I was able, the bank came to me, they wouldn't agree to allow me to just write out a new loan to them because I wanted to pay back what was owed. They wouldn't allow me to do that during the short sale process. But by God's grace, after that was over, they came back and they proposed to me. They said, we want to resolve this. And so I presented it to the elders and it was a blessing. And it finally felt like the Lord was lifting his hand a bit. And I don't mean a hand of, hand of punishment. I just, there's times when you feel like you're being pressed, and it was starting to lift a little bit. And I was thankful 
we were in a big financial hole after the last 15 years and the cost of different things. But at least the shovel was put down. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where the holes are getting deeper and deeper and there's a certain amount of relief that I'm still in a hole, but at least it's not getting deeper. I'm up to the last major thing and I'm I'm out of time, really. I'll just say this, and maybe I'll I'll talk a little bit more about this next... Actually, I will finish this next week, and I apologize that it's taken longer. But Rachel was doing better with her embryo, and she was able to go back to school. Heather and Christine were doing well. The lawsuit was resolved. The house was finally gone in California. It seemed like a weight tied around our necks. It, it was finally gone and we were done. And then Debbie told me one day, she said, you know what? I feel a lump in my breast. And we realized that the Lord wasn't done. I'll talk a little bit about that next week. Because that was probably as hard as any of this, and yet it was also perhaps the greatest blessing the Lord's given us in marriage. And I'll talk about that next week. But let me encourage you that God is faithful. I know that there are many of you right now going through severe trials. Some trials with children, some with grandchildren, some with adult kids. I know you're going through medical trials, many of you. I know some of you are going through severe financial challenges. If I could exhort anything towards you, don't get caught up in worrying about those circumstances. God is faithful. He loves His children. And I would encourage you, don't allow yourself to get bogged down in worrying about how the trials are going to end. They will end. And God will show Himself faithful whether the outcome from a worldly standpoint is positive or negative. We serve a God that loves His children. And He loves you, and He will care for you if you're His child. And He closes with a word of prayer. And we'll finish next week. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your faithfulness. Lord, I thank You for the trials of life. Thank you for the trials that we have faced. I thank you for the trials that the brothers and sisters in Christ that I have in this room have faced and are facing. Because each one of these trials is an opportunity to realize we can't control the outcome. We can't make things happen. Lord, we are truly at your mercy. And as frightening as that seems at times, as 
exasperating in our flesh as that can seem at times. Lord, I thank you that we don't want to be anywhere else. We want our daily lives, our eternal futures, everything in between held in your hand because you love us. I pray for those who are going through trials today that they would feel that love. That they would be encouraged to know that whatever the outcome is, you are good and you are holy and you are sovereign. And you will use it to conform them to your will. You'll use it to conform them to the image of Christ and you'll ultimately use it so that people will praise your name. So that people will see your glory. And I pray, Lord, that in all of our trials, mine and Debbie's and every other person in this room, what a lost and dying world would see is your glory. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen us for the task that you have in front of us. We ask all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.